go home to be with the Lord. And uh, that's nothing new under the sun, all right? But what I want to focus on is particularly in verse 3. I want to read through many of the verses here in, the, in Ch- Joshua chapter 3. But in Joshua chapter 3, verse 3, this is where I get the title for my text. It says, go after it. Go after what, Pastor? Well, it's the ark of God. It is bared there on the, on the shoulders of the priest. And uh, we, we need to follow after God is really essentially the thought. But Joshua chapter 3, verses 1 through 11, the Bible says, And Joshua rose early in the morning. They removed from Shittim and came to Jordan. He and all the children of Israel lodged there before they passed over. But it came to pass after three days that the officers went through the host, and they continued, uh, and they commanded the people, saying, When you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God, and the priests and Levites bearing it, then you shall remove from your place, and there it is, go after it. And yet there shall be a space between you and it, and two thousand cubits by measure. Uh, come not near unto it, that you may know the way which you must go. For you have not passed this way heretofore. And Joshua said unto the people, Sanctify yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. And Joshua spake unto the priests, saying, Take up the ark of the covenant, pass over before the people. And they took up the ark of the covenant and went before the people. And the Lord said unto Joshua, This day will I begin to magnify thee in the sight of all Israel, that they may know that I, as I was with Moses, so I'll be with thee. This is an encouragement to Joshua. Uh, he says, I want to I lift you up the same way that I lifted Moses up. Moses, the man who said, I can't preach. <laughs> uh, Lord, I can't do what you're calling me to do. I'm not able. And just as I brought Moses from that position of inability, and, and God knew about that already. He's, he says, I want to put my words in your mouth, Moses, and I want to I help you. And just as he brought Moses from that place, brought him into, into Egypt, delivered the, the nation of Israel, that wasn't Moses that did that, that was God, and elevated him to this great place, a place where he knew the God's word so much, he imparted it to the people. Now he says to Joshua, I'm going to elevate you from this place, the place of just being a regular a soldier. By the way, my heart is, was broken today. I, uh, uh, shortly after I went home, I was just scan through Google and all this kind of stuff and learned that three of our soldiers was killed today and 25 injured and my heart goes out to them and I, I thought to myself how this could have been prevented and it's horrible nonetheless anyway where was I going born from a place of being a soldier and he says I want to I want to magnify you I want to lift you up just as I did with Moses I want to use you this is to be an encouragement to his heart to let Joshua know hey Joshua you can do this because I'm with you. Verse 8, And thou shalt command the priests that bear the ark of the covenant, saying, When you come to the brink of the water of Jordan, you shall stand still in Jordan. And Joshua said unto the children of Israel, Come hither and hear the words of the Lord your God. And Joshua said, Hereby you shall know that the living God is among you, and that he will without fail drive out from before you the Canaanites and the Hittites, the uh, Hivites, the Perizzites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, and the Jebusites. In other words, when you pass over this Jordan, you see the ground is dried up. This will be the assurance that I'm going to give you this land. This will be the assurance that shows you that I'm able to do what I said that I want to do. This, this will be the key sign, the indicator that God is among you. 
You don't have to doubt. You don't have to wonder. You don't have to, uh, to be, to be uh, just all the pieces wondering if God's going to help you conquer this land. I will, and I'll show you that I can, and I'll show you that I will. Verse 11, Behold, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth passeth over before you into Jordan. Verse 17, And the priests that bear the ark of the covenant of the Lord stood firm on dry ground in the midst of Jordan, and all the Israelites passed over on dry ground until all the people were passed clean over Jordan. And with that, we'll pray and we'll get into the, the message for tonight. Dear Lord, I, I just thank you that you love us so much that you take care of every one of our problems, every one of our needs. At the time that we're going through them, it doesn't seem to be joyous, as your word even says. But through it all, we see the hand of God. And may we just continue as we press on in this life to continue to look up. I know everyone's going through a situation right now. Lord, very many are up against a wall, which they don't know if they're going to be able to prevail or not. And our faith is being tried. But may we see the hand of God at work. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. The construction crew is building a, a new road through a, through a rural area, and uh, in the middle of that rural area, there was this tree. On top of the tree, there was a, a nest that was observed by one of the superintendents and tried to do all that he could to try to prevent that tree from being knocked over on account of this new road. He ordered the people not to cut the tree down. Several weeks later, the superintendent came back to the tree, and he and got into a bucket truck, and he was lifted up so high that he could peer into the nest. The fledglings were gone. They had obviously learned to fly. And the superintendent ordered the tree to be cut down after the, the birds had done flew the coop, so to speak. The tree came down, and the nest came down as well. And uh, as he was looking through the pieces of that nest, they found a little scrap piece of paper that was a part of that nest. And the little scrap piece of paper had three words, He careth for you. He cared, well, four words, right? Four words, I can count. He cared for you. And uh, from a Sunday school piece of material, he cared for you. And it's amazing how God preserved that nest until those birds could fly away. Um, but it's not just the birds that God cares about. He cares about us as well. And uh, we have to realize that as we go through this life. Sometimes it doesn't always feel like it. But we know that God is always, he sees what we're going through uh, he's touched with the feelings of our infirmity. There's nothing that we go through that God doesn't know about. Well, God had promised to give the land uh, unto the hand of Canaan. We read that there within that uh, uh, song, On Jordan's Stormy Banks I Stand, and we read through how God said, I'm going to give you this land. And we understand that that was God's promise all along from the time that he told Abraham years and years ago. You and I recognize that God could have bought Israel over any time that he wanted to. He didn't have to wait the 430 years, but that's what he wanted. It's until the iniquity of the Amorites come in full. It's amazing to me that uh, he could have brought them in shortly after they crossed over the Red Sea on dry ground and swallowed up all the enemies, and he could have brought them in then. But he didn't. Waited till after the time that he gave him the covenant there and he made the laws with Israel and uh, signified the covenant, sealed it with the blood and so on and so forth. And, uh, and then they went out to spy out the land. They could have took it then. The reason why they didn't go in at that point in time was because of their faithlessness. But God could have gave it to them at any point in time and uh, God did care for the people. He did care for the people. I think about this um, 
in Exodus chapter 13. And the reason why I bring this up, God didn't, God didn't want them to wander around in the wilderness for 40 years. God didn't desire for them to have a hard time, but God knew what they would uh, be up against. He knew what they would be going through. He knew what they would be faced with. So he tells us in Exodus chapter 13, verse 17, And it came to pass when Pharaoh had let the people go that God led them not through the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, Let's peradventure the people repent when they see war and they return to Egypt. But God led the people about through the way of the wilderness of the Red Sea. He says, if I bring them through where the Philistines are, they're going to turn around and go back. They're going to, they, they think they're going to see war and they're not going to want to go forward. And it shows his care. He, he, it's not like God didn't know what they would be feeling or what they would be thinking as they're crossing through this, this, this barren land here. And so the Lord provided manna. He provided water. He provided for every one of their needs. The Bible tells us that they're... Their clothes didn't grow old, their shoes didn't wear out, none of that happened. God preserved them, protected them, cared for them for those 40 years in the wilderness uh, in spite of all their rebellion. Now, Moses had died. We understand that, Joshua chapter 1, Moses, my servant, is dead. And God raised up this new leader, Joshua, who would prepare the people for the crossing into the promised land. And Joshua and Caleb were near unto the place. I don't know what that would have been like. That place they had been close to about 40 years earlier when we went into the land and they would go out, one of the 12 spies would spy it out and talk about the grapes that they were bearing there on, that, on those staves and carrying the grapes, this great big cluster of grapes there on a, on a stick. I mean, those are big grapes. You know, usually we go into Walmart and they're just in a little bag. Uh, this took a few people to carry that cluster of grapes into the land. This is... This is the land that we're going to, a land that floweth with milk and honey. I mean, it was, it was great. But now they're revisiting this land, a land where before they were rejected from going into because of their faithlessness. A land that uh, I believe that Caleb, long time ago, of course, will come across this, Joshua chapter 13, I believe, where he spied out that mountain, Mount Horeb, where he is, and he says, give me this mountain. He had dreamed about that mountain for over 40 years. Now they're at this place, and God has established Joshua to be the, uh, the leader of this land, and that, uh, leader of this group to bring them into this promised land. And the only thing that stood between them and their inheritance was this great big river called Jordan. Uh, talk about this physical barrier that stood in the way. It was uh, just... This obstacle was on a purely physical level, and uh, that could have been one of the things they were thinking about as they were getting ready to cross over. I don't know how we're going to get in there. I don't know how this is going to happen. And God said he was going to give us this land, and there's this physical barrier, and it's standing in the way, and how are we going to get across now? That could have been a thought. And that's not recorded in Scripture. It's only really an assumption which I guess I shouldn't assume because I know what that means. <laughs> All right. uh, but anyway, but there was another problem. It wasn't just this physical barrier. There was this spiritual, uh, spiritual level that was being tested as well. It wasn't only uh, being tested on the physical level of trying to figure out how they would have crossed over Jordan, but being tested on the spiritual level, meaning their faith. They were standing on the edge of something new. And the Bible says in verse 4, For you have not passed this way heretofore. The first time they tried to do it on their own. 
They persuaded the people that we can't go up in there. Words, grasshoppers in their sight. There's no way that we could do this. All the people, their hearts melted. They were crying. They were in despair. They, uh, they, they were all to pieces. And then when they were rebuked by Moses, they said, All right, we can do this. Presumptuously going up without the presence of God, and they were utterly defeated. Now God says, we're going to do this my way. <laughs> we tried your way, now let's do it my way. You see what your way got you, 40 years in the wilderness, let's try this my way, and this time I'm going to go before you. Because you can't do this on your own. I want you to realize, as this image of Jordan River at this flood stage, and this whole range of Canaan spread before us here in our mind's imagination, that we're always going to encounter rivers and obstacles that block the way that we view as progress. There's always going to be something that stands in the way of our dreams. We dream quite a bit, don't we? Joshua or Joseph dreamed, and he didn't quite imagine being sold into slavery or any of those other things that he went up against. But this is uh, the rivers of progress that often stand in our way. These are the things that stand between you and your dreams. And through the eyes of man, we say that it can never happen. There's, there's, there's no way that we could get over the flood stage. Through the eyes of man, it's impossible. Through the eyes of God, he says, you listen to what I say. You do it my way. And you see that I'll, I am the God of the impossible. Just like I told Moses, Moses, I'll give you the words. I'll put my words in your mouth. Now I'll show you what I can do with this river. And I'll show you what I can do with the people in Canaan. And through the eyes of God, he says, trust me. And God will do great things if we're willing to pay the price of obedience. It's hard sometimes, isn't it? And God says, I want you to, I want you to try me. In a matter of giving, you know, open up the windows of heaven. But God, don't you know, <laughs> I don't have anything. I want you to trust me. I had to experience that time and time again before I went to Bible college and I knew God was calling me to preach. Just trust me. Coming here, God says, trust me. <laughs> Many levels of our life, God says, trust me. You walk in obedience, and I'll, I'll do some things. You'll see what I can do if you'll just walk in obedience to what, I, what I'm trying to show you and what I'm trying to do through you. Here's what you've got to understand. You, you have to overcome a broken past, and you, you might be staring in the face of a daunting future where it seems impossible. You may be overwhelmed with the present situation, which you're up against, but none of that's impossible for God. There's a God who's more concerned about you than what you're up against. Jesus says over in Matthew chapter 6, and I love Matthew chapter 6, where Jesus says, he says, you know, the Gentiles are worried about where they're going to stay. They're worried about their houses. They're worried about their clothes. They're worried about what they're going to eat. They're worried about what they're going to drink. They're worried about all these things. All these things the Gentiles worry after. He says, what I want you to do, I want you to seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Uh, don't, don't, don't fix your eyes on the things of this earth. Don't, don't get so used to them. Don't, don't let that preoccupy your mind as much as God should preoccupy your mind. You need to keep your eyes steadfast upon Him. 
Why? Because your Heavenly Father knows what things you have need of. It should have been an indication for us when Jesus already labeled it. I know what you're thinking. I, you, you say that you need this kind of house. I know what you're thinking. You say you need this kind of clothing. You need this kind of uh, job. You need this kind of uh, schooling. You need this kind of this and this kind of that. You, you need all these. I know what you're thinking. Your Heavenly Father knows you need these things. It's amazing to me when he talks about the disciples in Matthew chapter 10 and they're worried about uh, being, being caught and thrown into prisons and being persecuted and all these things. He says, don't, don't fear them which are able to destroy body, but fear him which is able to destroy both body and soul in hell. And then he tells them this, are not to spare a soul for a farthing. Not one of them falls to the ground without your father's notice. He says, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear ye not, therefore, for you are of more value than many sparrows. What are you trying to say, Pastor? What does this have to do with Joshua? I'm just trying to say that God's more concerned about the people than he is with the problems. He's more concerned with the people than he is with the problems. And he's more concerned with the people than he is with what they have their sights on about what they are trying to possess. They're thinking about the inheritance. They're thinking about their homes. They're thinking about the cattle. They're think, maybe they're thinking about everything they're going to get. And God says, no, I'm more concerned about you. It's like one of those things where, you know, when a parent gets a call and their child is in a wreck, police officer gives them a call, hey, your son's been in an accident. What's the mother concerned about? It's not concerned about the car. <laughs> it's concerned about their son. It's concerned about the son. The car can be replaced. The son can't be replaced. Remember, it's been over 20 years ago. I was working two full-time jobs. I was working three days straight, and uh, I, I'd stay awake three days straight trying to work two full-time jobs, and I would sleep a day, and that was my pattern. And, and I got to the point where I was just too, too overcome. I would... I would Many times I would be driving down the road and I would be so tired, but I'm like, I'm this close to home, I can make it. On one occasion, I got within a couple miles from the, from the home there in Virginia. And I was driving by and I just, I, I remember I'm just trying to, I'm rolling down the windows, I'm blaring the music, I'm doing all these things to try to stay awake. And I kind of drifted off a little bit and it, <laughs> uh, the mailbox jumped out in front of my car and then, uh, my the side view mirror busted all the pieces and the the windshield cracked and all I remember is it woke me up enough to get home and I remember picking up the phone and calling my mother I said mom uh, I, I I think I hit something it was a mailbox or something like this and uh, I'm okay uh, my windshield is busted and I don't even remember hanging up that's how tired I was remember I've been working. Three, three, three days straight without any sleep and sleep a day. That's been my pattern for, I think it was about four or five months I was doing this. And then uh, the next thing you know, I wake up and who's standing over me but my mother? She was living in Pennsylvania at the time over in Altoona. I'm thinking, how does she get from Pennsylvania to here? She says, son, this is, this is what I did. She says, I replaced that mailbox for you. I replaced your windshield for you. Your side mirror is mi uh, fixed on your car. And by the way, you want to give up one of those jobs. She spent the next hour with me, and then she drove back to Pennsylvania all the way just to see me. That's, that's humbling, you know. 
uh, your parent, your, your mother is concerned just about you. And what I'm trying to say is God is concerned about what we're going through and what we're faced with. He's concerned about you so much that he sent his son to die on the cross of Calvary. That's how much he cares for you. So this brings us to this essential relationship. It's not only just that God cares for us, but he also means that uh, we we got to care for the things of God as well. We, we can't think that it's all on God. Well, guys, I'm, I'm invincible. Guys want to take care of me. No, we got to have a walk with God as well. We, we, we can't think that we can do anything without him. And so here's, here's the important part. Here's, here's, uh, it's important to the sermon that we hear the words of Joshua. Uh, Numbers chapter 14, verses 8 and 9 says, If the Lord delight in us, then he'll bring us into the land. This is Joshua's word. This is what he says to the children of Israel when they come back and report, and the ten spies gives us bad report. Joshua gives us good report, and he says, If the Lord delight in us, then he will bring us into the land and give it to us, a land that floweth with milk and honey. Only rebel not ye against the Lord, neither fear ye the people of the land, for they are bread for us. In other words, hey, it's like eating bread off the table. It's going to be easy. It's going to be easy. For their defense has departed from them, and the Lord is, for the Lord is with us. Fear them not. And again, as much as God is concerned about us, we must also understand that we must work on our side of that relationship as well. So Joshua says in verse 3, when you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord, your God and the priests of the Levites bearing it, then you should remove from your place and go after it. Three ways in which God's concerned for us. Three ways I just want us to really think about on a very practical level. It's not going to be deep, all right? It's just a very practical level. God's concerned about us, number one, about our walk with him. Number two, he's concerned about our submission to his will. And then number three, he's concerned about our assurance of his love. Again, this is just a very practical message. Not, not very, very weighty, not very heavy, um, but this is how he's concerned about it. He's concerned about our walk with him. Find in verse 5, the Bible says, And Joshua said unto the people, Sanctify yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. It's interesting when we read through the Bible that uh, go over to Genesis chapter 35, you find Jacob, and Jacob is, uh, God had visited him, he says, I want you to go back to Bethel. He understands that if he goes back to Bethel, he can't just go to God any way that he pleases, and so he tells his, his, his family, he says, we want to go back to Bethel, and I want you to give up your gods. And he takes all those gods, and he takes them, and he buries them underneath of an oak, and and that was the only way that he would be able to go before the Lord there in Bethel. He had to put away all those false gods that he had. We also find over in uh, Exodus chapter 19, before they go up to Mount Sinai, what does God say to the nation of Israel? He says, uh, I want you to sanctify yourselves. On the third day, you want to come near this mountain, Mount Sinai. And I want you to come up to, don't, don't go near the mountain, don't go up to it. It's like a fence around it. If you go near the mountain, you want to die. But I want you to sanctify yourselves. Because you're not dealing with a man, you're dealing with God. And all throughout, we can find these different occasions of how God deals with men and uh, especially when you think about Nadab and Abihu, uh, Aaron, the high priest, his two sons who thought that they could just offer up strange fire there upon the altar. And what did God do? He, he consumes them as a fire. And the Bible tells us over in Hebrews chapter 10, I believe it is, 
Uh, don't you know that our God is a consuming fire? And he dealt with Eli's two sons as well. And they died in the battlefield, but God dealt with them. So we can't just approach God any way that we, we want to in that level. God, here's what I'm trying to get across. God doesn't want any more Canaanites. There's a reason why he judged Canaan. Because of their iniquity, because of their idolatry, because of their immorality, because of the way that they had been behaving, God had given them a chance. They should have known better. God says, I'm going to judge them for these things. And, and he doesn't wipe them out just to bring in more people like unto them. No, he wants, he doesn't want Canaanites, he wants Christians. He wants people that will follow him and love him and serve him with all their hearts, mind, strength, soul, with everything that you have. He's already had the Canaanites. It doesn't work. He's calling the children of Israel to live separated lives, and there's a reason why the Lord was, again, judging the land of Canaan for those iniquities that they were doing. And God wasn't going to drive them out just to hand his house over to tenants that were worse than them. You know, it's just like a, um, if you own a house, and usually you have an application, at least you, you see them online. You go to rent a house, they want you to fill out. They want to make sure that you, you're not going to destroy their place. They want to make sure that you're not going to tear things up. They want to make sure that you're, uh, you're, you're good. You're, you're not some sort of crazy person. I just want to tear up everything that they worked hard for. So God wants His people to know how to control themselves. So why would God judge them and not judge His own? The Bible says in Second Peter, I believe it is, that uh, judgment must begin at the house of God. The victory will never be won without until it's one within. If God will lead his people, it will be purely on the basis of their purity and holiness and because of their relationship with him. This unbelief is, uh, is interesting. I want to go over to 1 Corinthians chapter 10 for just a moment. You can stay there if you like. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, the Bible says in verse 5, it says, but with many of them, and he's talking about the nation of Israel. He's using them as an example, Paul speaking. Says, but with many of them, God was not well pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things were our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. Neither be idolaters as some of them, as it is written. The people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Neither let us commit fornication as some of them committed. It fell in one day three and twenty thousand. Uh, neither let us tempt Christ as some of them also tempted and were destroyed of serpents. Neither murmur ye as some of them also murmured and were destroyed of the destroyer. Now all these things happened unto them for examples. They are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. Uh, wherefore let him that thinketh that he standeth take heed lest he fall. I also think of Psalm 78. Psalm 78. And the Bible says in Psalm 78, let me get there. In verse um, 40. In verse 40, the Bible says this. How oft did they provoke him in the wilderness and grieve him in the desert? Yea, they turned back and tempted God and limited the Holy One of, of Israel. We find in the book of Joshua, it's a, you know, there is this genuine change. Again, everything that I read there in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 is everything that describes them in their wilderness wandering. 
Man, they, they were idolaters, they were fornicators, they were this, they were that. I mean, they go down the list. This purity in their hearts and lives would really mark a change that had taken place. They were serious about serving God and knowing God. This purity showed something about their true intent of following God's will and way here. And to sanctify yourself is not so much as cleaning up the outside. Israel had a history of doing that, didn't they? Thought they could just clean up the outside and make the outside look good. Jesus rebuked the Pharisees for that. He says, you clean up the outside, you're like white as sepulchers. You're like, you know, these, these little plates and bowls and cups and everything else. You, you clean on the outside, but on the inside it's dirty, it's rotten, it's, it's no good. No, when they said sanctify themselves, it wasn't just clean up the outside, it was clean up the inside as well. And it's God that did the cleaning, not them. I want you to notice this connection here in verse 5 of our text. It's not only that they sanctified themselves, but this sanctity, the sanctifying of themselves also followed. Uh, it allowed God to do something. Remember, I read in Psalm 78, they limited the Holy One of Israel. Because of their impure practices and because of them living according to the flesh and living any way that they wanted to. But now we see, he says, they sanctify yourselves for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. God wants to do wonders. He wants to, to, to perform things in your life, to remove the problems and remove the trials. I mean, he really wants to work in your life and show you that he could, he could be a, a strong deliverer. He could be a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. He, he is a compassionate God. He wants to do these things, but hey, it starts with us sanctifying ourselves. He's ready at all times. He's able, he's, he's available, but it starts with us. We got to receive him is what he's trying to get across here. The victory will not be won without until it's won within uh, in our hearts. And God's concerned about our walk with him. And then I noticed something else, not only our walk with God, but our submission to his will. He's concerned about our submission to his will. Elizabeth Elliot she tells of two adventurers who came out uh, to where her and Jim Elliott and them were living there at the, uh, the Andes. They were coming loaded down with all kinds of equipment coming through the rainforest. And they sought no advice. She said this is just some phrases to converse with the Indians. She writes, sometimes we come to God as the two adventurers came to me, confident and we think, well, uh, well informed and well equipped. But has it occurred to us that with all of our accumulation of stuff, something is missing? She suggests that we often ask God for far too little. We know what we need, a yes or a no answer. Please, to a simple question, or perhaps a road sign, sometimes quick and easy to point the way. What we really ought to have is the guide himself. Maps, road signs, and a few useful phrases are things are useful things, but infinitely better as someone who has been there and knows the way. That's what Joshua had. That's what the children of Israel had. Uh, a God who says, I know the way. I know how to get through this river. I know how to give you the land. I'm just waiting for you to listen to me. I'm, I'm just waiting for you to just 
surrender to my will, listen to me. You guys think you have it all figured out. You think you're well informed. You think you've done your homework. You thought you searched out the land. Hey, they searched out the land the first time too. But we're going to do this my way. We notice in verse 8, Now shall command the priests that bear the ark of the covenant, saying, when you come to the brink of the water of Jordan, ye shall stand still in Jordan. I'm sure when they heard those words, they got a little bit nervous. Stand still in that water, in that river. Hey, man, I, I used to go out camping in uh, Mount Union and Huntington or along the Juniata River, and I'd go out there, and I'd stand there, and that water would come rushing down, and I was, I was, I was prideful as a young kid, you know. I, I tried to wade out as deep as I could. I couldn't swim, by the way. Uh, probably a bad sign. And I tried to, tried to see how much of that water pressure I could stand against as I'm trying to wade through the river. You know what I mean? I could have got swept under. That was a bad idea. But nonetheless, I've done a lot of stupid things in my past. That's, that's all right. But God, God has been this way before. He knows what he's doing. Uh, you may be concerned about the problem, Jordan or the possession, Canaan, but God wants to know if you're going to trust Him. Canaan was a rebellious people, but Israel was a faithless people. Forty years, they wouldn't listen to a word God said. Forty years, they were their own problem. God would say one thing, and they would go and do another. They would try to rebel against all the authority. They tried to do, do things their own way, and they found themselves humiliated time and time and time again. They didn't need any more rebellious attitudes. They didn't need any more faithless uh, hearts. The Lord doesn't want more rebellious people, but He desires a people who will be obedient to His will, even in the midst of seeming impossibilities. There was a time where Saul went up to war against the Amalekites, and God told him to do something. He says, I want you to destroy everything. It was all on account of what they did in Exodus chapter 15, how they tried to take advantage of Israel and attack them from behind. And, and they ended up winning the war. Remember Moses up on top of the mountain, his hands stretched up high in the sky. And when their hands were stretched up high in the sky, Israel prevailed. And Joshua was able to complete a victory that day. But they didn't wipe out all the Amalekites. Now God tells Saul, I want you to go in. I want you to wipe them all out. I want you to take care of them. Why? Because of their wickedness. Next thing you know, Samuel comes along and he hears the bleeding of the sheep. Samuel confronts him with his rebellion. He says, don't you know that uh, this rebellion, this rebellion is a sin of witchcraft and stubbornness as the iniquity and idolatry because I was rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected thee from being king. Re, you know, this rebellion has consequences. Rebellion ends in tragedy every single time. Well, we think it was, well, it's not going to hurt anybody. We're just going to go out and just have a little bit of fun. Rebellion ends in tragedy every single time. You can count on it. God says at the same time, that he rewards faith. He's not, he's not looking for those who just want to talk to talk. Again, James uh, talks about this. You, you talk about faith. I, w I want to see some. Because I can show you my faith by what I do. But I don't, I don't see your faith. That's what James' whole point was. Um, he wanted those who would be about it. We're powerless in the flesh. 
Uh, when, when was the last time that you parted water? Nobody's ever done that. One time I tried to brag to my, my, my wife. I, they had the little fish pond there in Ambassador. I shouldn't tell this story. I was a maintenance guy, so I was in charge of overseeing all these things. And they had a little fish pond, and it was cold. It was uh, the middle of winter. That thing had a thick piece of ice on it. And I said, you know what I want to do? I want to walk on water. Peter did. I want to walk on water. And I got started. I put one foot on. I felt a little bit confident. And I put the next foot on. And next thing you know, I straight down through. What happened to you? Don't ask. I just need clothes. I found out that I couldn't walk on water. And I can't part the waters either. We need God to do that. We're powerless in the flesh. And going forward in the will of God could be a very scary thing, and, and it is. God, I don't know if I could do this. We didn't tell you to do it because you thought you could do it. He told you to do it because it was right. It shows whether you're going to follow your heart or whether you're going to follow the consensus or whether you want to follow God. That's what he wants you to do, just to submit to his will. Then God's concerned about your assurance of his love, assurance of his love. I always like that passage of scripture over in Isaiah chapter 41. I think it's verse 3. But The passage says this, he says, When thou passest through the waters, I will be with thee, and through the rivers, they should not overflow thee. When thou walkest through the fire, thou shalt not be burned, neither shall the flame kindle upon thee. It was God's assurance to the nation of Israel during that time. He says, your names are imprinted upon the palms of my hand. This is what he tells them. I've redeemed thee, Jacob. You know, when you're going through, I'm, when you're going through the fires, I'm, I'm there too. When you're going through the waters, I'm there too. We notice verse 17 of our text. And the priests that bear the ark of the covenant of the Lord stood firm on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan, and all the Israelites passed over on dry ground until all the people were passed clean over Jordan. But there God was in the midst of that river until everybody was passed over. Just like his word said. He wanted to assure them that he would always love them. I know you did wrong in the past. I know you've met with many failures in the past. I I know there were many disappointments in the past, but I still love you, and I'm still going to be here with you, and I'll bring you into that promised land. Why? Because I'm a a God who cannot lie. I'm a God who is faithful. I'm God who is true to my word, and I'll love you regardless. Sometimes... Trusting God is like learning how to swim. Again, I never learned how to swim. I just heard this at one time. I tried to swim one time. My stepdad said, uh, I want to teach you how to swim. He took me to this rock, put me up on the rock, and he says, uh, by the way, current was sweeping very fast. He said, I want you to jump, jump in. He wasn't standing there to catch me. He says, uh, you jump in, you'll figure out how to swim. I jumped in and I sank down to the bottom and was carried away into the current. He had to swim to come get me and rescue me. I said, I'm not going to learn how to swim. Sometimes trusting God is like learning how to swim, but guess what? He catches us when we fall. Just man may fall seven times, but he rises back up again. 
And God stays right there in the trial to catch us when we fall. And he's there to encourage us and help us along the way. And he says, hereby you shall know that the living God is among you. He showed them his faithfulness. They, they couldn't see God. It's like today, people say, show me God. Well, I can't physically show him to you. Can't physically show him to you. But I can point you back to a time where there was no crossing over the stream and God was there. I could take you back to a time where I got down on my knees and called upon the Lord to save me and he forgave me of all my sins. I can take you to some times where I was struggling financially and God took me up out of that hole. I can take you back to a time. I can't show you God physically. No man's seen what he's looked like. Nobody has ever looked upon God with their very own eyes except for Jesus Christ. That's why John tells us, you know, he, he is the full revelation of the Father. No man has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, he hath revealed him unto us. That's the only one. But we ought to be able to take somebody back to the place. You say, show me God. Show me what he looks like, you say. I'll point you back to an event, but I can't show you. But he was there. Undeniable proof. Uh, you can't tell me that he didn't do this. There's no man that could do uh, what God did in this situation, or this place, at this point in time. And you can't tell me that there is no God because this was an impossible situation in my life. And God wants us to do these three things. Like I said, he's concerned about us and he's concerned that we'll just trust him and submit to his will. He's concerned that uh, we'll just walk with him and purify ourselves and sanctify ourselves so that he can do wonders amongst us. He's concerned that we know that he loves us no matter how much we've messed up in our past. May that be an encouragement to you tonight. Uh, from this point onward, we're going to be marching on to victory. There's going to be defeats along the way, but it wasn't God that gave those defeats. It was them to remind them that you can't do this on your own. But again, what a powerful lesson. God, God is concerned about us. He's concerned. He cares. Amen. Heavenly Father, Lord, we do thank you for this time together. And I pray you would just drive this lesson home in our hearts. Every time we get discouraged and we say, uh, we're about ready to throw in the towel, we know that you show up. We know that you can help us cross over those rivers, those obstacles in our life. You just want us to submit to your will, to trust in you, to uh, sanctify and draw near unto you. Lord, only you can do the wonders. Only you can part the rivers. Only you can take the cities. Lord, only you can do the impossible. Help us to submit and surrender our lives to you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.